morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we have a very special guest. She's the head of the Blazing Caribou Network, and we're super excited to have her. She's got two dogs of her own, and she's got some questions about said dogs. So without further ado, here is Carrie. My my husband and I aren't going to have any more kids. We're good. We've got yeah. a 17-year-old going into college. We just got married. Everything kind of worked the way it's supposed to, so we've got part two of our lives. And we do want Mm -hmm. to eventually become um, uh, rescue owners, like, you know, have like fostering and things like that. But we need to make sure that we've got things right before that happens. Yeah. Like I want to make sure, you know, after, after having our rescues, uh, Jake here, his name is Jake. And uh, after Mm -hmm. having him, you just never know what you're going to get like with a, yeah, with a that's rescue. Really true. And yeah, because the dog you meet and the dog they are in two months are usually completely different. Right. And then there's things yeah. that are underlying that you just don't know how to fix. And yep. there's some things that you just have to say, well, I'm going to be okay with it, you know, or this is, this is not good behavior. How do we, how do we at least modify it as best as possible so that mm-hmm. everybody's comfortable because, you know, what are you going to do with a dog? And my poor dog, he's, he's a bit blind and a bit deaf. So there's a lot of hand <laughs> controls and a lot of me putting my mouth to his ear and, you know, voicing him so that he can understand that he's being a good dog and those types of things. It's like Helen Keller over here. I'm like, yeah. you know, it's kind of like water, water, <laughs> you want water. And I'm like tapping on his ear and paw, you know. But uh, he's he's a good dog, and you know we we've done what we've can with him, and he's kind of he's in the we think he's older, but my husband's big joke is he's ten, and he's been ten for like the last four years, so <laughs> I have no idea how old this dog is. The never aging dog. Well, I have yeah. a seventeen year old dog that looks like he's seven, so it's possibly we call him our dog shaman uh-huh. <laughs> because he refuses to age, and you know there was like one point at which my husband and I could tell that he was saying goodbye. And yeah. We're like, we're not ready. We actually said that to him. Aww. We're not ready. Don't go. And then the next day I started having contractions and the dog, it, it was like he had a renewed sense of purpose. He's like, well, can't die now. Yeah. Gotta stick around for this show. <laughs> and uh, ever since he hasn't ever, I mean, he, complete 180 in less than 12 hours. It was an incredible thing. And because at his old age, and especially being a large dog, you would have expected that when he starts spiraling, it's it. But Mm -hmm. he decided, no, I'm good. I'm going to stick around and see how all this goes and plays out. So, yeah, so he's a big, he's a big lug. So, but tell me about your dogs and kind of some of the stuff that you wanted to ask. Okay, so... We, my husband and I met a few years back and it was really funny. We weren't worried about my daughter meeting him and freaking out. He wasn't worried about me meeting his mother or his father. We were worried about the dogs. He had a rescue (laughs) and, and we both said if this, like if something happens because he was so in love with this rescue that he had and I'm so in love with my dog that I was just like, these are like our children. What are we going to do? I'm like, are we going to have to call the whole thing off because if it doesn't work? So his dog is more, um, is docile and, um, but he's kind of like a big dumb lug. He's kind of a cross between a Labrador and a Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay retriever. We think. Oh, I love Chesapeake. Yeah. He's, he's a really cute dog. Um, he's a bit older and, um, 
James has had him for about, I want to say, let's see, together we, he's had him three years prior to us. So we've had him for about six and, um, he thinks he got him like when he was about eight, he thinks Mm -hmm. so, but he's 10. We've, we've, we've established that he's 10 and 10 forever, (laughs) 10 10 from now until the eternity. (laughs) So he, um, he was abused and we found out that, you know, he was one of the dogs that was kind of like tied up to a tree and the collar grew into his skin. We feel that he's probably one of those dogs that was like left outside forever. He ate things like um, his own feces and rocks to survive. Um, and, uh, he did what he had to do. He also, when, when James first like started to meet him, he was kind of a junkyard dog. James is a monument artist and works at a, uh, monument company and does tombstones. He's an artist and Mm -hmm. the dog kind of was a cemetery dog and the cemetery is right next door. And he kind of just, you know, he ate squirrels and chased and they started, you know, giving him food and giving him a little warmth and stuff. And eventually what had happened was, uh, the dog bit a UPS worker and the owners of the company said, we're going to have to call. And James like threw his arms up, (laughs) almost lost his job, took the dog and like kind of had this like you can't kill this dog, kind of a thing. Yeah, and, and took he had him a home. big reaction because he had already bonded with him. Right, he had, and I mean, the dog was kind of following him around and everything. And that was the first time, and that was six years ago that he took him home. And the dog was a mess. He, you know, uh, ate garbage, knocked over things, um, but was a kind dog. Like you could tell he was sweet, and he was never going to. Yeah, bite he was James. just in survival mode. He definitely was, and. Um, you know, there was a lot of howling and things like that when James would leave separation anxiety and things like that. Um, and he just had a hard life and it was one of those rough start. He just had a really rough start and we wanted him or he wanted him to just be safe. And so James, James provided that and he never Mm -hmm. took him to like, uh, um, like a, uh, groomer or any of those types of things. He t- took care of himself because he was always concerned, like, what if he bites somebody or these types of things. I will tell you that this dog has never bit me or my kid, mm-hmm. and um, I don't really think he has it in him at this point anymore, but he does because all dogs do, and you should never yep. ever think that it's they It's always don't. content. Right. Content and context. I yep. tell so many people that. Yeah. I've seen the nicest dogs with no history of aggression whatsoever be put in a situation that they couldn't emotionally handle, and finally they snapped. And sometimes right. they had, sometimes it was just the one incident, and then sometimes it was like the damage had been done and they needed rehabilitation work. Mm-hmm. So I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. So so there's that dog. And then we have my little Yorkie. And he <laughs> his name is Wolverine and it's aptly so. Uh this little dog is uh, I got him brand new, I guess you could say, like right from the breeder. And the breeder is fantastic. Did tons of research on her. I met her. I loved her family. Let you know, one of those things. It's just it's a it's a great it was a great match. It was the right match. However, I was not in a safe place myself and my daughter. We were in a, I was in a bad relationship at the time when I got him. 
Got it. And he is nine years old. So um, the relationship, and eventually I got out of that relationship, but the, the, obviously, because I'm in a new one. uh, (laughs) Right. You're like, uh, and I married somebody Yeah, I married somebody. (laughs) I married somebody good. And uh, he, he was very abusive to this little puppy for no reason. Like things like kicking him down the hall. And, you know, pushing him out of the way. And this dog is, like, six pounds wet. Like, we don't don't do that. Right. So, real obvious, I went into mother mode. And Mm -hmm. um, small history, my daughter has a disability. So, she has cerebral palsy. And my dog, Wolverine, is mute. And he was just born that way. He had a collapsed trachea. And it's kind of a blessing, I'm not going to lie, for a little yippy yeah, especially dog. especially with a Yorkie. I mean, not that I'd ever advocate for a collapsed trachea, but it's right. better than... <laughs> That's what I always say. I'm like, you know, I'm not saying to go ahead and do that or anything like that, but I'm like, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm like, I You're like, have to it deal worked with out it. for us. Yeah, it's, it kind of uh, worked it's out. It's a selling point in this house. Right. And so he is, you know, he's quiet. He's, he's really kind of, you know... Um, kind of easy to step on, those types of things. I had to put bells on him when he was little and things yeah, like that. Yeah, because he doesn't verbalize. Right, so he doesn't don't. verbalize. And what's yep. been cool about that is he and I have grown this, you know, relationship between the two of us with nonverbal communication. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do things where I, I do, you know, I do a lot of, you know, lifting my hand up and saying, you know, sit. Um, I do pointing and things like that where he's really, really good with, he's, he's a good follower. He's super of, visual. Yeah. Yep. Super visual. Um, and a uh, good follower of directions, you know, better than my child, which is awesome. So I'm like, if I could tell him to go do the dishes, oh, my life would be He's complete. like the balance. He's like the, the, the delicate balance in your home. He's he like, is. Yeah, I can do this. I, I know how to handle this. So after after we got him and everything like that, and then he was abused, and then I got out of that situation. Right. What happened was that it was just me and my daughter, who is disabled, and um, you can feel that. You can feel that I'm the protector, that I'm, I am the alpha, and he knew I was the alpha dog. So he would kind of take all of my my cues. But when he was with my daughter, he went into protective mode. So if she ever walked him or did those types of things, he would go after dogs like there's no tomorrow or people. And it wasn't females. It's only men. Only males. Shocking. My ex was in the military. So anytime he sees like a camo-y type color, I mean, he goes crazy, right? Yep. So I'm like, okay, let's get him out of that environment. Get him away. Get him away. And I, I was able to calm him down. The other part of it is, is like this poor little dog, you know, born with all these things. He's he uh, had um, a problem with his liver when he was born. So I couldn't neuter oh, him no. until he was almost three and a half. So yeah. I so I had to deal with that. So you had the hormonal testosterone rolling yeah. around in there everywhere, which amplifies which amplifies every response you were seeing. Everything, and then you know, obviously, um, you know, uh, marking everything and marking his territory was insane. <laughs> it was really weird, though. And people, if you're listening, how important it is to like neuter and spay your animals. The like it was like the day after, and he was home. He stopped doing it. Like instantly, yeah. like instantly. And sometimes, you know, I will say sometimes it happens like that. And then sometimes once the behavior is established, you're doing damage control even after they're fixed. But yeah. I always tell owners, listen, if you're not a card carrying breeder, 
I don't advocate for you reproducing because Mm-mm. there's plenty of excellent breeders out there. We've got too many backyard breeders who don't do their homework, yeah. who don't health, health test their dogs. I have a stud dog myself, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, <laughs> I would say fanatical about picking only the right females, right? For you know to work with, and they all have to be health tested. They have to have. Uh, they have to be up on their OFA. All of those things need to be in check because otherwise I'm not doing justice to the breed and I'm definitely not doing justice to the dog. Right. And and that's so. and not only that or the family that you give that dog to because, yep. because then you risk giving them this dog that is a reject or whatever and them putting it in a pound somewhere. And you just, you just yes. don't want that. You want to yeah. have a committed family that's going to commit to the dog like I did. And I mean... Yes, problems have arisen, and actually last week was kind of traumatic for him. He had three cluster seizures, and he's been having them every year, like once or twice. But uh, we had some a serious case where now he's on phenobarbital, and mm-hmm. that's his life. And I'm okay with it, and he's actually doing quite well. So, I mean... Looks like everything's kind of, you know, normalized itself, but he was pretty shaky, like, about for four days afterwards, so it was pretty bad. But anyway, this little dog has had all these little problems, you know, unfortunately. But my problem with him, first of all, most loving dog up in your face ever. I mean, he is just adorable, and everybody says the same thing, that um, how wonderful he is. Like, he's so cute and he's so sweet. The problem is, and like I said, he's a wonderful little, cute, perfect little dog, but we live in an apartment right now, and there is a very bad pet owner that lives upstairs that um they they don't cage yeah they don't they don't cage their animals or anything like that during the day or even kind of confine them like when we go out we confine them to the living room and they we kind of pretend like that's their cage because they give them a little bit more room to walk around but we still make it feel like they're safe You know, I'm like, and I don't leave the windows open so that they can like have anxiety back and forth, but their dogs upstairs are just rotten. There's just, there's just no, and and it's not the dog's fault. It's the owner's fault. The owner, um, you know, in my experience, that's usually the case. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) Um, you know, they, they don't let them out regularly. They let them bark uncontrollably. There's issues with, with men coming in and out of the house. So there's just a lot of stuff there. So, right. There's that scenario. And we live in a very, like, dog-happy community, okay? Mm-hmm. So my neighbor behind me is wonderful. And she has this, like, 9,000-year-old dog who has never arg- <laughs> argued with any other dog. She's docile. Um, she has, you know, just has her usually sitting on the porch. The dog will not jump. She's very, very old. She doesn't, like, do any of those things. But Wolverine is horrible, Like, he just wants to eat her face. And I know a lot of it is, you know, I try to get to the point where I I try to calm him down and tell him, I'm like, hey, we got it. I got it. You don't have Mm -hmm. to, like, go and attack this dog. Everything's okay. You don't have to protect me anymore. And, And he just freaks out. Now, when he met Jake, I was terrified V. I was completely terrified. I was like, if these dogs don't get along, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I don't know what I did different. Probably my, my reaction was more like I was in love and those types of things. And he just felt like this calmness, but Mm -hmm. 
This was the only dog ever Wolverine has ever been introduced to that he hasn't attacked. I don't know if that was a sign. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was because James was in control and they were both on leash. And so, and I've always had him on leash. I don't unleash my dog ever, 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 ever. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We just talked about that in my last episode. Yes. And why that's a huge pet peeve of mine because yeah. you can have a well-behaved dog, but you take him off leash. And I've heard so many people over the years say, well, my dog is fully uh, off leash trained. You know what? <laughs> Give them the right incentive, and you might find out that's not necessarily true. Right. Not to say that there aren't well-trained off-leash dogs, but you don't know how a stranger's dog is going to behave around your off-leash dog. Or a stranger or any of those things. And, you yep. know, it takes one second for them to run and, boom, get hit by a car. And that's, yep. that's, and that's what exactly absolutely kills me. that's exactly the situation me. I drew out yesterday because mm-hmm. it can happen, and people are always thinking, well, my dog won't aggress. Well, maybe they won't aggress, but that doesn't mean that they're not in danger. Right. You know, that's your job to protect them. That's what I feel like. Yep. I'm, I'm their mother. I'm, you know, my daughter's mother. First line I, of defense. That's right. Just like a child. Yep, yep, absolutely. So so when they met, I was like, this might actually work out. And every time they <laughs> met, like, I'm serious, like every time they met after that, whether it was at James's or at my house, and we, James and I lived in different states. So I was in Michigan, he was in Illinois, and, um, you know, we were trying to figure everything out, and, you know, but they just, they absolutely kind of loved each other, you know? They just and gelled. Yeah, they just kind of like, all right, little dog, cool. And, and, you know, Wolverine was kind of like, hey, somebody to play with. And I'm like, yeah, he doesn't play. He just... He just kind of like goose around and looks for food. It's fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know they were fine with each other. So I was like, "Aha, it's possible." So my pro- yeah, my whole is. thing is I can't take him to a dog park, which I I want more than anything. What breaks my heart is I want this little dog to run free and be able mm-hmm. to like have those moments where he can do that. But he but can't. he'd be a maniac in a dog park, right? He he would hurt. Yep. Well, we did it once, and I went, and that was enough. And I'm like, all yep. I saw was a chihuahua come across, and he just took off and comes chasing at it. And it was it's sad because like the other people think it's their their fault, and they're like, ah, he's a little aggressive. I'm like, you have no idea. It's our fault. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix it at this point. I've read into stuff. I've tried doing the training, and. I don't know if, like, it's at the point where, like, he just can't be trained. But, I mean, I would love to have my neighbor over her coffee and have her dog here with us because she's mm-hmm. a wonderful little dog. And I don't know how to fix it. So, V. So, <laughs> so this is my cue to step in and give you some superhuman advice. Yes. I'm um, taking notes. So <laughs> uh, There were actually a couple things that you said that stood out to me. The Good. first being the dog's initial history because it's so relevant. You know, when you're going through, I talked about this before about imprint periods and periods and how impressionable a dog is at that point. And Mm -hmm. it's not that you can't rewrite history after the fact, it's just so much harder. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that when your dog saw that you were completely at ease and essentially that you felt a warmth towards this person, right? He basically accepted these you know, the new, the new dog and the new person, mm-hmm. which is surprising based on his history. It shows right. that he's, he's pretty, he's, he's good at reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, on the dog park subject, uh, just for anybody who's listening, I think dog parks were a great idea when they were first invented, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think that 
there are too many people who aren't paying attention to their dogs or they let small children in the large dog area. And it's like, yeah, okay. So your large dog is cool with your children, but not all large dogs are. And you Mm -hmm. can have, I saw a child get attacked in a large dog area and it was horrific. I mean, I didn't even have a child at the time, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that just being an observer, it was something that no owner and no parent had expected. Mm -hmm. Um, But so there are so many people that just don't follow the rules or they're on their phones and their dogs are just running amok. So for me, you know, I have two service dogs and neither of them go to dog parks. And the Mm -hmm. reason for that is I don't want to mess up the training we've got going. Right. So, you know, while I love having a dog, you know, off leash in a fenced in area, for me, a dog park is a no go for Mm -hmm. me as an individual. I know plenty of people that love doing it, but sooner or later, you know, in my experience, clients have who have never had issues in dog parks. You know, the dog's like seven years old. We worked together when it was like two and then all of a sudden it gets attacked without through no fault of its own. Mm -hmm. And it kind of leads to disaster. So, you know. I've gotten calls like that. So for me, and, you know, especially when you have a dog with the complex history that Wolverine has, mm-hmm. um, I, it's probably just not a great fit. But when you're talking about a stranger dog, there's a few things that you have to consider. Um, first of all, since your neighbor isn't going to be a permanent resident of your home, mm-hmm. that could be essentially... There, there could just be some inflammatory behavior because of that, mm-hmm. because he knows what his space is. Right. And, you know, I think the fact that you were so bonded with your now husband mm-hmm. really played into because, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, he's very visual. So mm-hmm. he was already picking up on the things that you didn't even know perhaps you were doing that made him feel comfortable with the dynamic. Sure. But when you're talking about bringing someone I'm going to call it a stranger. I know you know this person, Mm -hmm. but when we talk about having a stranger in what he considers to be his territory, one of two things is going to happen. And I'm leaning towards one over the other. The first thing that could happen is he could be a little standoffish, um, which is the stranger without their dog present. And then the other thing that I think is more likely to happen is he's going to feel defensive of his property and of you Mm -hmm. and possibly even this, uh, you know, big loof that you have at home that he's so bonded to now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, dogs have a really strong drive for definition in, in their doggy culture. And sometimes you, you can hit it off and then sometimes it's a complete miss and you're like trying to pull the dog's part as a disaster. Right. So I would, first of all, if you are truly interested in pursuing that as one of your goals, First, you need to get them under control on neutral territory away from this dog. You don't want there to be a negative history between the two of them to start off that you have Mm -hmm. to fix later. So first, when he's out and about, you might try things like getting his eye contact, uh, bring lots of treats with you, especially Mm -hmm. if he loves a specific thing or a squeaky toy or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I know he's deaf. So for you, it's probably going to be more visual and perhaps like tree, not or Wolverine. Can... Wolverine's fine. Jake is the yeah. white stuff. So. Yeah. So, so in his case, you know, you can get his, you can work on getting his eye contact, which I take a treat from their nose and bring it up to my eyes. Mm-hmm. And the second they make eye contact, I reward that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would focus on doing that at a standstill. And then when you feel like he's getting that, then you hold the treat up longer to your eyes, basically extending the look behavior, his gaze. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. And so, and you build in more time that way and kind of make it random of how long, you know, sometimes make it like five seconds, sometimes make it 30. So he doesn't assume that it's always going to be forever because then he'll check out. Gotcha. So, um, and then once he's doing that at a sit still, um, you know, and you're not really moving around property, I know you're, you've got a, a rental, so it's you know, pretty traffic open is here. constant. It actually, we, what's really nice is like, it's kind of an open backyard. So it's almost like we have a backyard that we kind oh, of nice. share. We have a tree there and on the other side, there's a park. So, Good. I mean, it's a really, really a uh, functional place to have like dogs and kids and things like that. So it's almost like kind of living in a condo. Yeah. More yeah, so. Like you have a yeah. private space kind of feel mm-hmm. and it's not so crushed feeling. That's good. Right. Um, so yeah, so I would focus on getting him to give you eye contact on a regular basis. And then the other thing I would practice with him and I would start this at home, uh, because you don't want to install a trigger you first want to teach them the rejection behavior and that would be leave it um Mm -hmm. and actually i think i think on our youtube page we have a video of this if we don't i'll put one up okay um because leave it is such a useful skill it's for dogs that you know are counter surfers it's for dogs that are obsessive about seeing strangers or other dogs and they Mm -hmm. just can't emotionally disconnect stop um right right so when i say leave it to a dog it's not a temporary thing. It's like, that's a dead animal. I don't want you to touch. You're never mm-hmm. going to touch it. Um, so what you would do is you take treats in both your hands because, okay. and it has to be the same treat and you put one behind your back, especially with the dog. That's so visual. He's going to catch onto this really quickly. Yeah. Um, but you present a hand to him and I would actually have my hand closed over the treats at first mm-hmm. and the other one behind your back. And then you'll say, leave it. And you just wait for the dog to stop licking your hand or pawing at it and mm-hmm. just to pull away on its own. And when he mm-hmm. does, good boy, good boy, offer the traits that are in your opposite hand. And that's actually key because, like I said, while you're using the same treat in both hands, you want him to understand what you're indicating is what he's to leave alone. Even though he's getting the same treat from the other hand, it isn't the one you told him to leave alone. Ah. And you can switch up. Uh, you know, which hand you're working from. And then when he's really doing well at that, you know, you can pick something, something that you perhaps would never want him to chew on. And he might not be a big chewer, but um, something like a remote Mm -hmm. or, you know, with some clients who had dogs that were counter surfers, I would tell them to get a little piece of chicken Mm -hmm. and I would put it um, in front of the dog on the floor and I'd point at it and say, leave it. If they went for it, I'd cover it with my hand when they backed off. I'd show it again. So this way they're learning Mm. that all you have to do is leave it alone and you'll actually get something else. So after, and that's going to take a little while while he'll pick up on the process really quickly. It's going to take him a while for it to be useful in public, Mm -hmm. but until you have a really strong leave it and a really good connection cue, like look him tolerating the presence of other dogs is just, it's going to be, he's going to have a really low tolerance Mm -hmm. and a really low threshold. So once you have those two cues essentially together and, you know, he's not just kind of running circles around you, then you have to determine what his threshold is. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is how far away would you have to be for him not to react in a negative way? You know, how far away from whatever it is he's aggressing towards or against or afraid of, um, you know, is it, 
Is it the other side of the street? Is it down the street? Mm -hmm. Is it barely an eye shot? And you work there first. Wherever you're not seeing an inflammatory response or reactive response and he's still able to key into you, that's where you start. Gotcha. And then you start doing what I refer to as closing the gap, which really is exactly what it sounds like. It's a slower process in the beginning when you're trying to kind of hone in on your target, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I did it with dogs who – and I had a corgi that I worked with that was just – I mean – unreal with her aggression towards strangers. Mm -hmm. So when we first started this, we needed a solid look. We needed a solid sit and then we needed a solid leave it. And -hmm. without those three pieces of the puzzle, she was just going to be a wrecking ball. I mean, just everything and anyone was in her way Mm -hmm. and she had bit her own owner. So I knew Mm -hmm. the potential for her to react to another dog or another owner was definitely there. (laughs) She already had the history. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the key to working with aggression is you, you first of all have to be super consistent and you have to do it in small segments. If you flood the dog, well, that's a technique that I've used uh, from time to time. It's very case by case basis. But what yeah. I'm telling you to do would be across the board. It's something that I, you know, if you do it in small segments, you'll start seeing the dog head in the other direction emotionally. Mm-hmm. Because rather than just teaching your dog not to react, you need them to have something better to do. Yeah. Because that's what's going to change the emotional response and the emotional profile and the cortisol levels and the high heart rate and all the things that go into a dog that you per- you know you probably aren't seeing outwardly. You can just tell he's stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so pick a so pick a distance. Quite I mean, if it's you know on the other side of the road, great. If it's you know two hundred feet away from the stimuli, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. You know, and you work from that point until you start seeing that he's not only keying into you but he's responding. Um, the other thing that you can do to make it an exciting experience is, and I did this with dogs who couldn't perhaps take a treat from me because they were so stressed. Mm-hmm. I would, anytime I saw something that I knew was going to be an issue, I, I would point at it really quick and then I'd drop a ton of treats like right in front of them, a whole handful, mm-hmm. which sounds excessive. But what it's doing is it's referred to as jackpotting. And what I was basically telling the dog is every time you see something like that, something awesome happens. Mm-hmm. And Quickly, I mean, dogs were people aggressive or dog aggressive or small animal aggressive. Man, they did not care a lick after about, you know, just that consistency of the work will really help you there. Mm -hmm. And then when you're working to close the gap, I wouldn't go any closer than four feet from where you were before. And if you see that the dog can't key in, then go two feet back. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of have to gauge what he can handle. And then once you've gotten some traction in that area, then you can, you know, move closer. You could start working on passing. But if you ever see somebody closing in on you, like I I hate when owners descend on you like a wolf. They're just like, oh, my dog's friendly. And you're just like, go away, go stop. I even do the little scarf thing on the, you know, on the the leash so that they know, like, I have a little red thing, like stay away from my dog. Because, you know, I'm like, please don't do that. And they always come up to it because he's cute. And every time, you know, he he attacks like uh, like men's feet and he'll like he'll Mm -hmm. just kind of go at their pants. And I'm like, you guys got to like people have to stop because I'm like, you know, or I'll have to swoop them up. You know, I just kind of I've come to that conclusion where I swoop them up. And I always say to him, I'm like, it's not important. I don't say leave it, but I go, it's not important. 
not important. Yeah, well, and, and, and I, I kind of direct him in a different way, and I force him to look somewhere else. But I've never really sat down and said, you know, like, look at me. Um, this isn't important. This is, this is not. You know, like you don't, you don't have to just sit here and focus on me. This is what I need you to do. I've never done that. It's always been like, it's been protective mode, and I'm, and I. I think yeah, like, your mommy, your mommy radar is on a high alert. Right, so and, you're just and trying it sucks. To do I want control. him to be yeah. I want him to be instead of me being so proactive that way and um, you know just avoiding the situation a hundred times and not giving him any thought process. I guess you could say to say like it's okay. These things aren't going to harm you. I want him to kind of be a little bit more independent and be able to say, hey, you know, I'm like, mom said it was okay before. I don't need to sit here and keep doing this. I just want his anxiety level to come down because he's nuts. Well, and, <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, even without your dog's previous history, I've come across who, ha- who struggle with things like this. You know, in all likelihood, it's deeply rooted in not trying to show who's boss, mm-hmm. but more trying to – it's like a protective instinct. He's right. trying to protect himself, possibly defend you, mm-hmm. and it probably is deeply rooted in anxiety more than anything else, mm-hmm. which surprisingly most aggression is. Not all aggression, but a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of my main focuses when I was doing behavior work. Um, and we, I would do diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation of dogs. And the ones that had the most severe aggression, first of all, not the breeds that people would typically outline for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It has very little to – I mean, I would say it has nothing to do with the breed, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. um, it has a lot to do with their inner emotional profile and how flexible they are. Mm-hmm. You know, some dogs are really permissive and you could get another dog out of the same litter completely dominant, you know, yeah. just complete difference within personality types. But with you, um, another thing that you could do since he is so bonded to you and the sweetest dog ever with you mm-hmm. is you could do what I refer to as a touch cue. And it's very simple. You just open, you open your hand mm-hmm. And kind of point at it like you would for whatever you're telling him to leave it mm-hmm. and just say touch. And when he goes to sniff your hand, which it's even better if you like rub a treat on there first mm-hmm. so that he's really interested in what your hand has. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he touches it, go ahead and reward him and make this so consistent in his daily activity that he basically expects it all the time. And I say that because then you've got a whole series of tools. You've got the leave it. You've mm-hmm. got the reconnection with eye contact. You've got the desensitization with uh, treats being offered when the stimuli, an unsavory stimuli, is present, and uh, which can also serve as a distraction. And then you've got something where he can physically reconnect with you, mm-hmm. which is going to start changing his outward response and how aggressive he seems and behaves. Mm-hmm. But until all of those pieces are together, I wouldn't even consider having somebody over Certainly not with another dog because he's already protective of you and he's already had bad experiences in general. So first you need to break that process, which could take, you know, two months, Mm -hmm. maybe three months, depending on how bad he really is. But if you do it in small segments and you do it in stages, and and when I say small segments, I'm talking like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. It sounds like nothing, but you need to cover up bad experiences and replace them with better ones. Yeah. And the only way you're going to do that is if it's, he doesn't completely unravel towards the end. You know, I, I think one of the main mistakes that I saw a lot of owners making is they would try and work it till the dog was like brain dead. Oh yeah, And no. it, it really, it's like your dog isn't going to remember everything that you did 
towards the beginning when it was doing well, they're only going to remember the unraveling spiral down, you know? So you, you have to think of it in terms of how much can he handle? Let's not make it, you want to make it a pleasurable experience, not a stressful one. He's already stressed. We know Mm -hmm. that about him. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of have to work backwards a little bit and you're going to have to, if you see people approaching, I, cause I ran in this to this a lot with client dogs, I would raise my hand and be like, Nope, in training, please don't come closer. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, people probably thought I was nuts, but there were times where I would be working a severely aggressive dog, a big dog, yeah. you know? Um, like I remember offhand, a uh, Rottweiler that had chased neighbors and all sorts of things. So he was dog aggressive and child aggressive and, and neighbor aggressive. And there was this gentleman who just kind of sauntered up to us and was trying to, train his dog alongside this client's dog Mm -hmm. and they were private lessons. This is not a free for all. I had great classes, but this was not one of them. And he kept like, at first I didn't notice him because I was so focused on my work. And then I kind of peered around and I could hear somebody telling their dog what to do. And I was like, listen, I was like, this is a private class. This dog is in training. He is definitely not a super savvy or safe dog please keep your distance and keep going. Mm-hmm. And the guy kind of shot back at me and he was like, well, I would never hire you as a trainer. And I was thinking to myself, I was looking at his dog and all the bad behavior he was doing. I was like, eh, mm-hmm. that's all right. But um, <laughs> in truth, you have to be the dog's first line of a defense. You yeah. know, if you saw a, a stranger running up to your kid, immediately all the red flags would be waving. Sure. So with your dog, you just have to be, you have to have that awareness. Like on that day, I wasn't as aware as I was any day after that. I have to be honest. After mm-hmm. that, I was always looking and peeling around. And right. then there are going to be times where y- you have to bail. And that's something that I feel like isn't really talked about enough because sometimes we try and work a problem through. Yeah, and human beings our intent do. is positive, mm-hmm. and our goal is also positive. But in practice, we are running ourselves into the ground along with the dog. You know, I tell owners if you take a nice deep breath and relax and blow out through your mouth, your dog is going to key into that. But if you're stressed and you tighten up on that leash and you wrap it around your arm, you are going down the same hole your dog is going down, mm-hmm. and it's feeding right to the other end of the leash. So if you ever feel like it's too much for you or you're just not getting anywhere, either take a space that's further away from whatever is making you nervous or him nervous or take a break. Go Mm -hmm. home. Try again in another hour or two because it's better for you to be in the right state of mind and take breaks when you need them than to try and force both of you through the experience because he's not going to be learning if he's watching you feel stressed. Yeah. And, you know, um, you saying that and it, me thinking about a couple of times that I've done this, I mean, um, you know, it tried to kind of refocus him a little bit, you know, uh, not to the extent that you're giving me, which is awesome. Um, but just kind of getting him in a quiet, safe space and being outside and those types of things. And I've, I've done things like, like you said, like a distance type of a thing. And then he would mm-hmm. fix on the dog and then I would get in front of him mm-hmm. and I would have him kind of look at me and I'm like, body blocking. Yeah. Like, I would body block all the time. And I'm like, you don't need to look at it. And he would try to like get around my feet and I just yep. eventually he just gave up and he stopped yep. looking. So yep. I think, I think that's the, that's the part of it where, so I, I'm, when you were talking about distance, I could already get that. And I'm like, I think I know about how far he can be. But mm-hmm. the problem is, is you get these owners, like you said, I had this guy 
who had just been by our dog and walk because the our backyard is open so everybody can walk through the back and they kind of yep. use it to get to the park which is fine mm-hmm. and of course it causes anxiety for my dog and freaks him out um but he had just been through and I had had my dog on a leash on the porch we were just sitting on the porch just getting some sun no big deal and the guy got a little close and I said don't get close and I had just verbally told a person, don't get cl- too close with your dog. I said, my right. dog can be aggressive and I'd appreciate mm-hmm. it if you kind of like backed up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And then he went home and he lives on the corner here. He went home and he came out and he let his dog off leash. Of course he did. And <laughs> guess where that dog went? Yep, right for my yours. little dog. And of course, yep. you know, I didn't catch it. And guess what happened? My big dog saw it and my little dog didn't. And the big dog went after this dog because he's like, yep. don't you hurt In my defense. little buddy. And yep. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, when's the last time we saw Jake being aggressive? So I'm like, yeah, no. those are those are the things like, you know, like you can't help. But I'm, for me, I'm like, OK, if I'm going to do this with him, I'm going to take him to a remote part in a park somewhere and kind Mm -hmm. of train him a little bit on this as opposed to doing it in my own backyard because I think there's too much aggressiveness around here. The dogs upstairs are ridiculous and it's just And there's nothing you can do about that. Well and here's the thing, like you were saying about about vibes. So as a person the more those dogs are like that, and even and sadly, the kid is somewhat like that. She has temper tantrums and things like that. And like, mm-hmm. and the dogs are crazy. I hear them screaming at each other upstairs. I'm just like, it's just a volatile environment up there. And yep. we're like so peaceful and calm. I mean, I do talk radio for God's sakes. I, you know, I'm not a yeller. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm like, let's talk about, you know, food, you know, type of thing. And, you know, it's so, it's so crazy up there that. I know he's feeling what I feel because I'm just kind of seething through my teeth. And I'm like, I don't like those people. I don't like every time I hear him bark and I'm like, oh, those people. And he's feeling me get aggressive and he almost does it more during that time. So I just try to like, you know, I think those times which will help me when I hear that stuff is just kind of breathe it out. Maybe like you said, take a break from here and get Mm -hmm. out in the car with him and get away from it. Would well, help and, me you know, and him, not, I think. Um, I use essential oils with my dog. I'm not a hippie, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I do really, I've, I've used essential oils. Well, you're oils a guru, for, so it's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. I mean, namaste, people, namaste. <laughs> but I, I have to tell you, um, two things I've noticed in my dogs. First of all, I didn't always do yoga, but I love it now, mm-hmm. and it completely transformed my life. One thing I really learned from yoga, and I apply to I have applied to client dogs, but also my own dogs is breathing and meditating can be so useful because sometimes there's only so much, you have to accept the fact that you can't control everything in your world Mm -hmm. or the world, world around you. But if you can kind of center yourself and relax yourself and keep you in check, Mm -hmm. that's going to make it more palatable for the dog. Mm -hmm. They're going to decompress. You know, I feel like we really send so many negative messages unintentionally to our dogs. 
And sometimes we only key into their bad behavior, which can really cause more problems there because, you know, if you're not rewarding your dog for when they are completely nonchalantly handling something, then you're going to see less of that and more of what you do pay attention to because negative attention to a dog looks very similar to positive attention. It's still a reaction. Right. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that... First of all, you have to know going into this process, it's not going to happen overnight. I say that all the time, but it's really true. Um, And you can't waver in your commitment because once you start it, if you stop, he's going to be like, "Mm, that was easy. Mom already bailed on this. Right. And so once you kind of start down that path, you just, even though you're doing it in small segments, you have to do it a lot. Right. And, you know, if you, it's like I said, you know, if you run into a situation where you're like, somebody's dog is off leash or, you know, whenever I had a client, cause I lived in an apartment complex at one point and mm-hmm. I would still be working dogs throughout the day. Some of them that even lived in, in the, um, complex. And one thing that was a huge issue for me was people who thought their dogs were under control, but that dog would immediately end up on, I mean, just all over us, mm-hmm. you know? So one thing that I used to do so that first of all, the dog I was handling wouldn't overreact is when a dog is charging you, they never expect you to go towards them. Mm-hmm. They, their their, their full expectation is that you're going to stand right there until they get there. Right. So depending on if, I mean, ideally you get all the way out of the situation, you yeah. know, if you have to scoop them up and go home, do that. But you know, there were some dogs I couldn't have picked up because they were almost my size. Right. So, you know, I remember in one case, it was like a little loss of OPSA. And I remember seeing this couple like walking in and out of their apartment and these dogs were, they had two of them and neither of them were trained. They would like trail behind. I mean, the owners would be halfway up the stairs and the dogs would just be like milling around. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was walking this dog and no previous training. It was a rescue had some bad history with other dogs, and apparently the whole reason they left the foster was because the fosters, one of the foster's dogs was super dominant and was descending on this little dog, this old older dog. So we're out, and the dog is kind of, you know, doing his thing. He's cueing into me, but then he notices from a distance that somebody's just let two little dogs out, and we found out that day he had a high prey drive. Um, and so they started running at us and I immediately said, Hey, go get your dog, go get your dog. Oh. And you know, they did the come here, fluffy, come here. It's like the dogs were like giving them the middle finger. I mean, (laughs) they were, they were not only not listening, they were like not doing it. Right. So, you know, in that situation, because they were so much smaller and I felt like I had no other choice but to manage it because if I had just gone up to my apartment, they would have followed and that mm-hmm. would have been its own disaster. I put my shoulders back. I took, I kind of popped out my chest a little bit. I pointed straight away because even though I've never trained these dogs, mm-hmm. they are visual yeah. and they're, they're hyper-focused at the time. So I went, uh-uh, get out of here and, you know, kind of moved into their space mm-hmm. way before they reached the dog. So a couple of things happen. First of all, this dog learned that he wasn't to engage, that I was going to take the first response. So he Mm -hmm. didn't have to. And then the second thing that happened was when the owners were like trying to get their dogs and then, of course, they're not even trying to leash them. They're just trying to grab them and the dogs are all over the parking lot. I have to be honest. I wasn't really nice about it. Mm -hmm. I was like, we have a leash law. And Mm -hmm. then they tried playing the, and this is one of my least favorite things that I've seen. Uh, the, oh, they're service dogs. No, they're not. 
No, they're not. Mm-hmm. No, they're not. That's really, really offensive to people who have service dogs right. that need service dogs. Um, I'm one of those people without my medical alert dog, I could never live a normal life. And so throwing a label on your dog that it A, doesn't deserve and B, you have no need for it makes it harder for those of us who have invested years in training and education and following the law. And she was like, yeah, no, it's my service dog. And the boyfriend got all like defensive and macho with me. I was like, listen, guys, you're breaking the law. You don't know what I'm going to do. Right. And you don't know what your dog's going to do. Right. I was like, and you certainly don't know what's going to happen with the dog that I'm handling. I said, every dog. And they were like, well, your dog's aggressive because they didn't know it was a client. And I was like, well, all the more reason you should have your dog on leash like Mm -hmm. I do Mm -hmm. because you don't have control. So, you know, I definitely can empathize with you and sympathize with you when it comes to getting stuck in a chaotic situation. But my first option is always to get out of Dodge if, mm-hmm. if you can. If you can't, then as best you can, get your dog away from what could be a volatile situation or, or the other dog by picking him up, picking him up since he's small. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you're forced into having to do something, make sure you are between the, the other dog and your dog. Mm-hmm. Um, even better if he's in your arms because he's already going to be going crazy and he's not going to calm down in that sort of situation because he feels attacked. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have to be realistic. And I I know that people don't always listen. I'm <laughs> In 15 years, I can tell you how right. many times people haven't listened. But what I can tell you is you don't have to feel nice when someone is breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was always trying to be politically correct and – put on a a good face and a kind voice. But sometimes my dogs ended up being the butt of that joke because Mm -hmm. I was so focused on being a nice neighbor. I wasn't doing justice to the dog and it was causing problems with me and the dog. So, you know, for me, if I see somebody approaching that I don't want to, nope, dogs in training. If I see somebody's dogs running up to me, I will typically get out of Dodge. (laughs) Then I'm, not insane, but I will watch where they go home <laughs> and and take note of it. Because if I ever see that dog off leash again, I call animal care control. Another reason I feel this way, I mentioned earlier how you can have a dog that's the nicest dog in the world. And just like you saw, it was a matter of context. When he felt like his brother was being attacked, you know, your other dog went, oh, no, 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 right. that's not going to happen. Well, I had this client. She had two golden retrievers, amazing dogs, both of oh, them. Yeah, and, um, you know, you never really hear stories about a golden retriever. You always hear the, oh, they're so nice because mm-hmm. they are. They're a nice dog. Yeah. Um, Very easy to hap- train and, and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're great. Just, I mean, when it comes to training, I mean, they make me look good. Always. Right. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> yep. But, um, you know, she had a neighbor that moved in and this neighbor had – a massive dog. I, it, it looked to me to be a mastiff, but I never really got close enough to take a good look. And she, what led her to call me is while after living there for several years and having no issues and both dogs having no history of aggression whatsoever, one day, I guess the child or, or teenager that uh, lived at the home beside theirs let this dog out. The dog was always running around. Um, my client's fence, and eventually figured out how to get through it. Mm. And at that point, ran into her house and attacked her oldest dog. Oh. So that resulted in the male dog, the older one, not only being defensive of the property, 
and of the other dog who then had anxiety because she was like, because right. their, their space had been violated. Their, sure. their sacred spot, which was their home was not only inflicted upon from the outside, then they ran in, into the house, mm-hmm. you know? And I told the owner, I was like, listen, the first thing you need to do is be honest with the owner. You need to give them one warning. And I do mean one warning. Mm-hmm. If you see somebody who I was like, and we were in a rural area at the time. I was like, listen, if you know this dog has done something bad, I was like, that is trespassing on your property. Mm-hmm. I was like, you have every right to go over there and tell them. And I said, and I only give one warning. And I tell them that I'll only be giving one warning. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them, you know, from there on out, the police are just going to keep knocking at your door. And they get real sick of that. They were very closely linked. You know, animal care and control and the police were hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So they would cite somebody. And if it, the behavior continued, they would take the dog. And I didn't want to see the dog taken. Right. But what I also didn't want was to see, you know, one of her children get attacked by this person's dog who was already running amok. Mm -hmm. And so she reluctantly went over and talked to the owner about it. You can't play and make assumptions. You have to do whatever you have to do to protect your space, your dog, and your family. And she really didn't want to do it because she's like, you know, I have to live with these neighbors. I was like, I understand that. I was like, but if they don't understand that you are serious, this is never going to stop. You just have to be proactive. And like I said, I'm not nuts. But if I, you know, there's occasions within our development where I'll see somebody letting their dog just run amok. I don't play around with it. I Mm -hmm. just tell, get your dog on a leash or I'm calling the police. And, you know, for somebody who's got my background, that's probably kind of surprising because I'm a huge animal advocate. I love dogs. Um, I love the idea of rehabbing, but you can't fix stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And that's closely linked to owner, not dog. You know, the dog is just doing whatever comes to mind and whatever behaviorally they've been permitted to do in the past. But when it comes to the owner, You have to be serious, and sometimes you have to get an element of the law involved to really put the kibosh on it. Otherwise, you can end up with what this woman had, which was two formerly nice but now aggressive Goldens. And luckily, we were able to fix both of them. Good. Um, You know, we used one of my dogs, uh, or actually two of my dogs, in that training process. And so it can be done. She said, looking back, that she would have... She wished she would have approached the owner sooner and just said something. I was like, you know what? Chances are you're going to get blown off. But at least you've sent up the flare so that they know that you know what's going on and that you're not going to you're not going to be dismissive of it because you see the problem as it's developing. And it is a problem. Well, I think this kind of gets into my next question with everything. Okie doke. Um, Let's hear it. Which is really good. So um, <laughs> with me... You know, when I decided to have a child, mm-hmm. I kind of went the gambit, did my research and um, and said, you know, how what are the things that I'm going to have to look for? And can I keep this kid on insurance for, you know, 18 years of her life and then pass that on? Can I mm-hmm. feed and clothe this child? Can I protect her? Um, am I able to, you know, do the hard things and make the hard calls. And, mm-hmm. um, also can I be kind and, and those types of things? So am I going to, am I going to give her the environment that she deserves and growing and things right. like that? These are like simple, basic questions we ask ourselves. And I think, I think a lot of people have kids 
and they don't look at the big picture. And I think nope. the same is with dogs. And yes. the one thing I t- teach my daughter about being a pet owner, because we are going to get her a service dog soon, is the fact, because she's going to college next year. And so mm-hmm. we are, I know it's this big, long process, but I'm like, well, maybe it'd be all right for like the first year or something, but we're, we're working on it. And I didn't even realize that that was a possibility for her until her doctor was like, you probably should get her one. It's really going to yeah. help her. And yeah. um the thing was is like okay but wait. So here's the thing about a dog. Yeah, you're getting this you'd get a service dog and they would be trained and things. I'm like, but it's a huge responsibility. You know, you yes. have to um you know, make make the hard calls like you know, calling the police if if somebody is attacking you and your dog. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize how important that is to take full the full gambit of the responsibility. And it's hard. I mean, and I'm yeah. telling her you like you have to have insurance. You have to be able to understand that you have to keep these, you know, vet rec- records up. And you also have to be prepared, like with Wolverine, I knew that this liver was coming through and I wanted to make sure that, you know, that if he had a bad liver and things like that, what that looked like down the road for me. And if everything was, you know, going to be financially, you know, okay and those types of things and what would I do scenarios, those types of things with him. And the aggressive part, you know, it's my responsibility to take advice and follow through. And if you're not willing to take the advice and try to follow through, then you have no business being a parent (laughs) Or a dog or a dog owner, owner. Yeah. and I mean, and I say that about my business too, because there's been hard things in my business that I've either had to let people go, or I've had to um, put my foot down in places, and it's not easy. You don't want to be the bad guy, but at the but same, it was the right thing. But it's the right thing to do. It makes things right. better for everyone else, and you have to make those decisions. And the thing is, is we all got to live collectively in this world, and this is how it is. So my my questions for you are. You know, eventually we want to to foster dogs, and mm-hmm. we were talking about, you know, uh, all the things that you got to have to kind of prepare for with that. And I'm not totally 100 percent prepared to know what those things are. And with with Jake, he was kind of a you know a gamble. You know, luckily. Mm-hmm. It worked Luckily, out, but it didn't have to. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I mean, he still has some issues. Um, but mm-hmm. like I said, those are the ones that are like, is this, you know, is this like he, he would still go in the garbage. But what do we do? Yeah. We lock the garbage out, you know, so mm-hmm. we don't we don't make you it did easy. management. Right. Yeah. We definitely did management as opposed to trying to fix a lot of those behaviors, because I think that's just something he's always going to he's going to have in him. You know, it's kind of like an alcoholic. It's not like you can really get rid of it, but you can maintain the environment as best as possible and not be a lazy pet owner and let him just get into stuff. And when he does, guess what? We both look at each other and go, our fault. It's our fault. Yeah. So we can't be mad at the dog. So I guess there's a lot of those questions and, you know, um, have you fostered? Dogs? I have. I have. And I've had uh, three foster failures that I ended up adopting. And then I actually had a service dog in training. Mm-hmm. Um, loved the dog. Great dog. Excellent. At, he, I mean, by the time we'd had him most of the year and he was doing excellent with his training, but he had the most, <laughs> the nicest 
problem you can have with a service dog in training mm-hmm. that washes them as a potential service animal. And that was he loved everybody. Aww. So he could task, but if anybody came towards us, he couldn't task. Gotcha. And with, I mean, he had laser focus when we were in our own environment and there weren't a lot of people around. But as soon as he saw a kid, it was like, oh, let's go play ball, though. <laughs> and so he had, like, the best slash worst problem. We had gotten very bonded to him. In fact, we named him Bond because he looked like he had a tuxedo on. Aww. Um, his new name is Harry, and he was adopted out to an amazing family. Uh, but or- our original intent was to have him as a service dog. Mm-hmm. And while we loved him as a pet, um, at the time we were trying to find the right fit to replace my Mm 17-year-old service animal, and it was just time to find an understudy sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, we had to wash him because of that. His nature was so nice. It just wasn't compatible with what we needed. Right. Um, You know, socialized is good, but obsessed with seeing people and not able to task in those in that context, um, you have to adjust the expectations and just respect the dog for who they are. I didn't want to train that out of him, right. you know? Um, and after 10 months of working one-on-one with him on it, I could tell you right now, it was just a cornerstone behavior of his. It wasn't going anywhere. Did somebody smack so, you with a newspaper and say, Oh, just leave it. <laughs> it's right. like, it's not yeah. going to happen. I mean, it was just, it was just one of those things where you just have to pick your battles. And, yeah. um, so, Yes, I fostered. I, there were a couple. I used to foster uh, greyhounds when I very, the very, very beginning of my career, and those were my first two foster failures. Uh, I ended up falling in love with two greyhounds that had been, both been returned more than once, mm-hmm. and uh, I got them separately. But you know, fostering—it's a huge responsibility, just like dog ownership. But the hardest part, and I think it's kind of obvious. The hardest part is when you actually go through the motions of turning the dog over. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say that because it was super emotional for us. Now, there are some foster situations where you only have the dog for a few weeks, a couple months. You know, in my case with Bond, uh, we had a a lot longer than that. And we were working with an amazing rescue. And when I called them, I was like, so he has the slash cutest and worst problem that he can have. Mm-hmm. because, and, and she was like, well, is there anything else? Nope. That's it. That's everything. I mean, he was just, he really understood the training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that you're going to have to take into account is first of all, when you're fostering in the very beginning, only take one dog on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Especially regardless of the size of property you have, because chances are <laughs> your first dog or the one after him is going to be the one that takes the energy out of you. Uh, they, Sooner or later, you're going to come across a case that needs a lot of training or a lot of stimulation or both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see a lot of people take on too much too soon. So that would be my first piece of advice would be make sure that you have um, just one that you can focus on mm-hmm. and, and and mentally prepare from the beginning. Um, you can have a great relationship with a foster dog. And I think that's actually really important for them to learn that they can bond with somebody new. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to kind of in the back of your mind, remind yourself, uh, this is probably, this is not necessarily going to be a dog that stays with us forever. Mm-hmm. And in my case with bond, that wasn't really the mindset we were in. Mm-hmm. So when we went, when we started going to events to find him a home, once we decided, you know, great dog, but not a, he had to be washed as a service dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really rough on me and my husband. It was very difficult. And 
I am usually the type of person where there's like my, my emotional mindset and then there's my analytical mindset. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in foster work specifically, those lines can be crossed with your, with the best of intentions, you can end up fostering a bond that while great for the dog can be really hard on you. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing I would definitely um, warn anybody who's interested in fostering about. It's a great process. It, you know, you can socialize the dog, you can house train the dog, you can get their basics, which really helps them find a good home. Mm -hmm. And you can learn the finer points of their personality type. Like, are they small dog aggressive? Is that something that could be worked on? Mm -hmm. You know, has he improved in the time you've had him? How does he get along with small animals like cats? So it gives the rescue a full picture of who this dog is so that they can find the best home for it. You know, I knew bond inside and out. And with my, uh, you know, the greyhounds that I fostered, because I, I had two foster failures, but the mm-hmm. other one, <laughs> we found him a home. Um, and so I think you just need to have a really realistic approach. You have to expect that the dog that you initially take home and the dog that you're going to have in a month or so, they could be polar opposites. Sure. Um, you know, the more they adjust to you in an environment, the more of their personality you'll see. But you're really aiding in a process that's so important because in my experience, rescues are so invested in these dogs and they so want to see them become success stories rather than bounce backs as it's referred to. And with that in mind, the more you know about this dog and the more you know about how to teach basic skills, which I always advocate for positive reinforcement because there's no damage that can be done. Um, but you know, one dog will learn faster than the other. One dog will be more responsive than another. And some of them will really gel with your family. And then some of them, you can just kind of tell when it's time to find them an actual home. Mm-hmm. And the, like I said, the more information you have, the easier it is for them to find the right place for that dog to be, which completely, um, well, not completely, but it really draws down the opportunity for a fa- like a failure situation where mm-hmm. it's just not a good fit. So I think, you know, fostering is a great process. You know, right now I have a, a very young son and so I'm not fostering. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really just because I'm, I have a soft spot for the hardest cases. Mm-hmm. And when you have a, when you have a small child who just thinks every dog is amazing, mm-hmm. that, you know, he knows his boundaries and not to go approach a dog. But if it's in his own home, chances are that I'm always going to be doing damage control. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to take away from him the affinity that he has for dogs that he basically got from me while he was in the womb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, just be aware of, first of all, what as much as you can gather on the dog's history um, before you get them. And if there is no history, um, you might start with something like puppies because I hate to say it, but puppies are the most work. They mm-hmm. take the most reinforcement. They're usually not house trained. You can have adult dogs that aren't, but they usually catch on to the process pretty qu- quickly if there's sure. some structure to it. Um, but puppies are really good training wheels for fosters, I feel mm-hmm. like, because it gives them the workload with the cute factor that keeps you hooked in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... That's where I would start, um, but every family is different. You might find that you know senior dogs are who you like to to foster, mm-hmm. um, and then you know when you are introducing new dogs, you have to be realistic about where your dogs are at at the time, mm-hmm. because 
Wolverine may never be compatible to a foster dog situation. Right. And it's really not good for one negative behavior to be impressed upon a dog that's now learning. Oh, I I agree. And I mean, it was more of a... We knew that because Wolverine is around nine years old that we mm-hmm. see, and this is how I plan. Just so you understand, is like I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, five, seven years out here. Like, what are we going to do? Um, do we, you know, once Jake goes, do we replace him or do we hold off and wait until you know Wolverine goes and then possibly get a dog of our own and a foster at the same time and kind of let them kind of grow together and see how that all works and like have this dog that's almost kind of like a sheepdog kind of a thing that can herd these mm-hmm. these new dogs in and just be copacetic with it, you know? So, I mean, that was part of my plan. Like, okay, how is this going to look in five to seven years? And, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't more concerned about myself. I know that I can handle, I can handle that kind of bipolar feeling of, you know, oh, it's a puppy. Oh, he's got to go. I can handle that. I, I know yeah. that I'm that kind of a person that can, you know, deal with short-term things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why I would make a good foster, but also because I can be in control and handle that. But I'm also very realistic. I don't want three dogs in this house or four or five. I don't want all of that. I want to be able to give the attention where it's needed. So it's like, you know, how that looks. Like I know Jake would be fine. So, but the the issue is, is that Wolverine's probably going to be around. So it's longer. So we're going to probably have to wait I think. Yeah, I I probably would. And I'll tell you why. Because he's going to have a whole lifetime with minimal in like minimal interaction with invasive dogs. Right. And one thing he's definitely going to be exposed to with even the nicest foster is feeling like his space is being inflicted on. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason and because he's got seniority in your home, Probably not a great fit for him. Right. Um, you know, the oldest, I never say that age is a determining factor. The oldest dog I ever worked with was 15 and we, he made a full recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, would I put him, would I put that dog through a foster? No, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. No. You know, he was kind of at the stage in life where we were doing damage control and fixing things that should have been done 12 years ago mm-hmm. or 13 years ago. But, you know, you have to be, I feel like as an owner, you have a responsibility to the dogs that you already have and that are right. in your home. And I think you've been really mindful about that. And with that in mind, based on his history and the fact that he'll be way into his golden years, I would probably just wait yeah. until he's at, you know, until he's resting in peace and not to sound morbid, but realistically, like if you want to be able to invest in a foster situation, that's the route I would take. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be better for you because, you know, you wouldn't want to feel like your dog was contributing to the new dog not finding a home. No. And, and you'll definitely like, feel like that. It's kind of like having a child that's a little unruly and you're trying to figure yep. all of that out. And then like, oh, let's have a new baby and or, yep. or let's, yep. you know, have a foster child in the house. And it just, they pick up on that behavior. And I'm, I'm pretty... I'm hopefully pretty self-aware, you know, like I, yeah, I feel, I get that sense from you. I feel yeah. like you do think things through and you know, that's really going to be a, like a cornerstone behavior that you're going to need, not only mm-hmm. as a foster, but as any dog owner. And I think that you're really mindful because it emanates from the way you talk about dogs and, and the situations that you're, you have an awareness of. Mm-hmm. So I think that it would be a great fit for you. And I think that you would probably be one of the better fosters. I mean, there are great ones out there, but, um, 
you know, when I was working with a rescue, one of the things that we would look for in a foster would be consistency and stability. Mm -hmm. And if they had those things together and if they had any dogs, their dogs were well-mannered and under control. It gave us a sense that, okay, we were that if we place a dog there, they're going to be in good hands Mm -hmm. rather than just farming them out to somebody who perhaps doesn't really understand everything that goes into it, but you really do. So I feel like, you know, once Wolverine is, is gone and you're, you've grieved that loss and you're ready to move forward, then that would be, I think you, you would be an excellent family. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, we try. We raise a pretty good daughter, which is is wonderful. Um, she's a good kid, and I think I I hear a lot of people saying like how wonderful she is and how wonderful our dogs are. It just it just sucks because it's like I don't know like when you're if you're like in a um, a restaurant or something and your kid cries and you're like oh this is a reflection upon me. <laughs> I feel the same with my dogs when they act that yeah, way because I'm I think like we all feel like that. I, I always say I'm like you know I am not advocating for him to act this way and I. I am like you. I feel that negative reinforcement does nothing. I don't think it has done no, anything. I, you know, I, I, I get, I've gotten over the years, um, some strong, cause it's like, it's like anything else. You know, if you're a supporter of one thing or another, I'm not going to convert you. Right. You know, but I, I, I always like to offer a different way of evaluating a situation. And for me, positive reinforcement, never seen a problem from it. Yeah. I've never had a dog. I've worked some of the most aggressive cases in that anyone could imagine. Most of them had already be, been uh, previous training fails with other trainers. And owners would say to me, you know, you kind of opened up my eyes about how now and how we really interpreted behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, Negative reinforcement was the only way, you know, we were at, back in Victorian times, the mentality was you have to control, mm-hmm. you have to control, you have to demand. Mm-hmm. And we did it with kids, yeah. you know, but now we've realized, okay, there's a whole dialogue that goes in and actually dogs learn better without being forced. You mm-hmm. you have to get them in the right you have to get them to like learning mm-hmm. and you have to make yourself approachable for that process to start and you have to have an open dialogue. And so for me and for my clients, that was the best fit. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you there. I really am with you there. Well, and I think and, too you, with fosters and rescues and things like that, you don't know what you're getting. We've already established nope. that. And if you either raise a hand to the dog or, you know, very, you know, firmly are, you know, in his face kind of thing. You don't know what's going to happen. So you right. kind of, you kind of trick him a little bit. And I think it's more clever, absolutely, to like, you know, do some things. I've, I've watched our dog now who can, Jake, who was, you know, very shy when we first met him and he was, you know, he would uh, bare his teeth. He would bite, mm-hmm. but he would bare his teeth and was real aggressive. He was warning. He yep. was warning. I we take him to the groomers now. He's happy go lucky. He he wasn't he didn't really play. Uh he's not a, like a you know, like go fetch the ball kind of a thing. Um, but he goofs around now where he can kind of like, you know, play with his Let teeth. Down his hair a little he, bit. he lets his hair down. He kinda, you know, I can kind of like um take a sock and kind of like play with him on his face and he's like, ah, you know, I mean it's not like anything great play like we're normally used to, but he has fun and you can tell he's having a good time and you can tell like he responds well to good treats and things like that so he's so food focused 
that I'm oh, like, that's a great thing. That's right. a great problem. I, that's, that's what I told my husband. I said, you know, he's so food focused. Let's use it. Let's use it for yeah. good behavior. And, yep. and that's the whole thing. I take treats and things like that. And, you know, I hide them from him. And I just kind of like, where is it? Where is it at? You know? And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, once he finds it, that's his play. And I'm like, good boy. You know, we've even thought of like, um, like he doesn't play play, but to get him to play and exercise a little bit is those Kong things are great because yep. there's food in there and he's just. Oh, I talk about them all the time. They're I'm like, he's great, just. They're such a just, great tool. He's, yeah, exactly. He's just kind of digging for him. Like I said, he's an older dog and you would think he's just going to be sleeping all the time, but he's not. He's like, he likes to play around in his way. So yeah. my other dog is like crazy play. Like I will run and fetch and drop the, the ball. Frenzied and frenzied yeah. kind of behaviors. Yeah, but it's it's really well controlled and that's what I like yeah. about him. He's not like spaz. He's not a spaz. Mm-hmm. Like right now he he does his whole uh makes a nest and does like it looks like he's like spinning a record on, on a chair. <laughs> and I'm like, oh here's DJ Wolverine here. And he just does that <laughs> for about five minutes and he falls asleep and he's he's pretty easy. But what I try to do is I have uh during the day, like you were saying, is I have um times of play and we only mm-hmm. do like 10 minute intervals like five or six times a day and i like doing that as opposed to sitting there for like an hour playing with them because first of all it gets me away from what i'm doing and i need to play a little bit but at the same time they're so focused on it that they want to mm-hmm. play and they do it they get their treats you know their little treats and they just head on out and then they chill out for a little while so they're getting used to all of that so now that they've been together for almost 3 years they're, you know, I think the hardest one actually was more working on Jake and getting him settled. But now that I feel that he is, it's like, okay, now we got to get this underlying Wolverine, literally Wolverine, cutest thing. And I, I sent it to you in Facebook, the dogs, like how cute that little dog is. And his name is Wolverine. And what's really funny about him is because he's mute, he, when you play with him, he has this, he sounds like a bird. He's like, rawr, rawr. Yep, and it's like yep. this really funny, like sound. He got inventive. From, oh yeah, he did, and it's just it's really cute because it's like there's there's my evil Wolverine coming at you, you know. So he's he's just really cute. So man, well, I appreciate I think, it. Yeah, I think that um, you know, based on everything you've said, and you kind of have a long road when it comes to Wolverine, but not, it's not impossible. Yeah. It's just how motivated are you to turn it around? I used to tell clients, they were like, well, what do I, how much, how long am I going to do it? And I said, you do it until, and then you keep going. How long do you have a kid for? Right. It's, it's a process. It's a process. It's not, it's, you know, it's over I, time. I say all the time, um, I'm not a miracle worker. Mm-hmm. I can, I can instill good behavior, but the owner is where it's going to be learned long-term. Right. And for me, dialogue and trust are the foundation of getting a long-term result mm-hmm. that is positive, that is exactly what a client is looking for. And having worked all types of different cases, I- I've seen such a good turnaround in, in a lot less time than most owners thought was possible in some cases, like a surprising short amount of time. But Mm -hmm. those owners spent so much time following through and following directions. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that would make the fastest recovery, even if the dog was like naturally stressed. So, you know, and, and I think in your, in, in, in your context, when it comes to Wolverine, I think it's a great goal to at some point be able to have somebody over, Mm -hmm. but first you need all of your bells and whistles under control. Sure. 
foreign environments that have nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. So that way you have traction there. And then you can kind of take his temperature. You know, you're going to be mom. So Mm -hmm. you're going to know if he's improving. And if he's not, go ahead and and write to me so that we can can give you some other advice. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a process. And I think that you definitely are in the right headspace to be able to accomplish it. I think it's going to be time-consuming. But I think that you – while recognizing that are still up for the challenge. And that's really what it takes. You know, I mean, everything takes time and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely prepared for that. I mean, I think I've told my kid about a thousand times how to do the dishes. Um, I'm like, please do the dishes. I've tried paying, I've tried all these different things. And then, you know, it comes back to positive reinforcement with her, which is Mm -hmm. really funny. I told her for the first three years of her life, I didn't know how to take care of a baby but I knew how to take care of a dog, so she heard things like "You're a good girl." <laughs> you know, it's all so the time. It's so funny. Is it funny My how you like, kind of flip life, them over? People were saying I'd get two two responses. One one would be, "Well, one day you're going to be a great mother," because every time I had a client come to pick up their dog, especially in a board and train situation. I would go through all the pieces of the puzzle, how I got there. I told them it wasn't a success only journey. I used to take videos that I didn't edit. Mm -hmm. So this way they had a really accurate picture of what their dog had experienced in real time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the the other things that people would say is, well, you know, kids are so much harder than dogs. I got to be honest with you. My kid is easier than any difficult case I ever took. Yeah. I mean, by, by long. And I think that is because we're so consistent Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're always building him up, but we're not unrealistic. Like we understand he's going to test us because he does. He's, Mm -hmm. he's really ahead of the curve on the testing, Mm -hmm. but he also knows that he ain't getting away with it. Right. And I think when it comes to parenting or being a responsible dog owner, consistency is key. Clarity is key. And kindness is key. Yeah. And without those three elements, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well said.
I'd like to go and use all the information that you've given me, apply it, and then yeah, come we should back. do it. Yeah, we should definitely do an update and have you back because I would love to see, like, in a couple of months, if you know how he's working out and stuff like that. Because I think I'm not the only dog owner that has this problem, and I know no. that, that this is, you know, um, a, a difficult situation, especially with Reagan. Um, that's my daughter. She uh, is kind of one of the pack, and mm-hmm. that's a whole different thing that we can figure out a different day. Um, but uh, maybe when I come back, we can talk about that. But it's, you know, we've got alpha alpha male, alpha female, and then kid, especially yeah. at 17. And that's a that's a great transition because they are not a child anymore. And Well, and you're going to have a lot of transitions over the next year or two. Sure. Um, so, you know, like as you start applying some of the stuff we talked about today, mm-hmm. you can send me a message and I'll give you some other advice or I can have you back on and you can kind of give me an update and we can tweak things because yeah. every dog has their own quirks and their own learning curve. And while I still use positive reinforcement to really drive those points home, sometimes we have to adjust things and, and go about it a different way. And there's a hundred different ways to address a problem that will give you a lasting result. So fear not, uh, but, but go ahead and give those things a shot and then we can tweak as necessary and get an update about it. I will. Absolutely. Yay. Yay. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. So how can people get in touch with, I, I know you have several shows. You're actually, uh, El Presidente of your network. So can you tell people about that a little bit? Yes. As the head kahuna, I would actually like to just promote the network and okay. and everybody in it is just, it's it's amazing. Um, Blazing Caribou Studios is the name of the network and you can go to blazingcariboustudios.com. And what I like about our network is we are just unique and different and we are looking for unique podcasts, um, whether it's original content or, you know, um, the underdog type of a niche program, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Stuff that doesn't necessarily get hit upon, but definitely needs to be heard and has a voice out there. Carrie's network is home to several different shows that I know everybody's going to love. So definitely click on the link within the show notes. I was actually on one of those shows called Farmers, and that's going to air on the 30th. So I hope people check that out. And Paul and Donna are just amazing. So I know that people will enjoy hearing from them as much as I enjoy being with them that day. So Beautiful. everybody can check that out. I think it's really great what you guys are doing. And I'm going to include uh, links to Blazing Caribou uh, within the show notes so that people can easily find it and they can shoot out their questions to you and perhaps get the support either with their podcast or perhaps they're considering podcasting yep. and they're not really sure where to start. So yep. I know you got them covered there. Yep, absolutely. And then you're coming back. I'm I've already coming decided. Back. I'm on it. Whether or not you like it, Wolverine and I, and I are going to have an update. So um, we will do it. Thank you so much for coming by. I so appreciate it. Oh, and um, we'll touch base really soon. If you want to know more about Carrie's amazing network, Blazing Caribou Studios, then check out the link below in the show notes. Please check all her shows out. They're awesome. Definitely worth a listen. If you have more questions or comments for me, you can send me an email at you at gmail.com. You know that we're on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash podcasts, And we're on Instagram and every podcast app that I could think of adding us to. 
Coming up in the new year, we've got lots of exciting things planned for you. Patricia McConnell will be joining us in February, and it will air in March. Very excited to have her on the show. It's a great, great honor. Uh, She has a new book coming out as well, which will also debut in March. So if you are a dog lover or an animal behavior fanatic, this is a show to listen to. In the meantime, if you haven't caught our episode with Jane Miller, the psychiatric service dog trainer who works with inmates and has an amazing program, please check that out. But that's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. Namaste.